This is Seb Lee Delisle, and you're listening to the Creative Coding Podcast. Yes, it's the Alfresco episode. Summer is here finally, so we thought we'd go outside to record this very special episode. My guest this week is Kate Houston. She is Director of Mobile Engineering at Ride, the car sharing startup. And she's an advisor at the crowdsourced, successful laser cutting startup Glowforge. So I caught her in London in transit between several different countries. And we took a stroll out to Hyde Park and had a nice chat about her work, in particular her transition to a managerial role from being a programmer. So I should say that obviously Hyde Park is perhaps not the sonically most suitable place uh, to record a podcast. Seem to be like helicopters flying over. And, and also, although it was nice sunny weather when we started, it did start to get very cold. So you might hear our teeth chattering towards the end. Anyway, I started off the interview by asking Kate about her current work with Ride. So that so we're working on our V2 right now, which is coming out really soon. So my team's been working super hard on that. And I'm a manager now. It's very rewarding. No, I mean, it genuinely is rewarding. But sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I miss writing code, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so we have an entirely remote team. So for me, I have like seven engineers on my team right now. Two in Argentina, two in Colombia and Medellin, which is where I spend about half of my time. One in Brazil one in Denver and then I have another one that's also like me homeless right do you ride have like a, a central office as well or are they a distributed company um so my boss is in New York and there's two engineers in New York and the rest of us work remotely mm. well this is really interesting to me and that was something I wanted to talk to you so I might as well did get you, to it did now. you read my piece about remote work and like I did read it, yeah. And it's something I'm really, really curious about. And it sort of feeds in with the whole managing coders thing, right? <laughs> uh, in particular, someone moving from being a coder to being a manager. I've gone through that process yeah, yeah. myself in the past, and I found it really difficult. It is really uh, difficult. And then, of course, there's the whole other element to it where, you know, I found it hard to manage a group of coders in the same room. Right, let alone if they're in different time zones. And how? How? I mean, I just—I gave up being a manager, right? Cause so how do you do it? This is what we need to know. Well, so I've been doing it for like about five months now, and I mean, I think there's just absolutely no evidence that I know what I'm doing or that I'm doing a good job. <laughs> I told this to one of my reports the other week, so um, you know, I don't know. Like, this is how you inspire confidence as a leader. <laughs> I think in some ways, like when you manage remotely and when you work remotely, the things that are hard, you know that they're hard and everyone is upfront about them. So like obviously communication is hard in a remote team. But you know what? Communication is always hard, right? And communication is like particularly hard between two people who are like, say, super focused on details. And then they just talk to each other about details and they never, often like never get to the bigger picture of what they actually need to communicate about. So on a remote team, we just like work really hard at communicating, right? And we work really hard to do it well. I think it's very easy to assume that, you know, oh, I've been sitting next to this guy for three months and therefore like I know him really well. And like, this is absolutely not true, right? Whereas like when you actually, you're trying to manage someone who you've never met, like you know that you don't know them really well. And so I just work really, really hard to build a relationship with each of the engineers that reports to me. Yeah. So that's the trick, is it? Just make an effort. Yeah, basically. I'm like, I'm always reading these articles about management. They're always written by men and they'll have this epiphany moment. It's like, oh, I realised that my direct reports were human beings. And I'm like, okay, that's good. How many years did it take you to figure that out? <laughs> humans work for other humans in absolute, like, shocker. With all the messiness and complexity that that is. The hardest thing that I've found is that when things are okay, you can think that things are fine. But when people start having stress reactions, what do you do about that? And how do you manage it? Yeah, I don't know. I never figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think back to the times when I had problems. And it would always be, oh, 
there's so many different problems, but there was definitely one where people would behave in a rather unexpected way. Yeah. That seems a bit illogical. Yeah. And I guess trying to figure out what's behind that is the tricky part. I generally believe that people are rational. Do you? Yeah, I do. That people try and make rational choices. Yeah. Or they behave in a way that seems rational to them, right? So if you're looking in from the outside and you're like, this behavior seems irrational to me, then what in their worldview would make it rational? Right, so you've got to figure out what their internal logic is that's making that. Yeah, it's like debugging, but you have no debugger. (laughs) Yeah, I think I've called it um, meatware in the past, right? (laughs) That doesn't sound like quite as... Sounds a bit icky. Well, it does. It also, like, it creates a distance, right? So if you think of your direct reports as, like, meatware, you've, like, created a, a word to, like, describe them that doesn't kind of, I would say, it doesn't fully embrace their, like, humanness. Yeah. See, maybe that's why I wasn't a very good manager. <laughs> but we have no evidence that I am a good manager. No. I just work really hard at trying not to be a really bad manager, which, you know, like, the standard for management in tech is, like, so low. You know, I'm pretty sure I'm above average, but I don't know if I'm good. How would you know? I mean, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I think it matters a lot to me to to do a good job. And the hardest thing for me to give up from being an IC is like the achievement oriented stuff. Right. Mm. So, you know, when I'm writing code, then at the end of the day, whatever it is that I'm building is better than it was the day before. Maybe there's fewer defects. Maybe there's just more of it, more defects. Um, But you don't get that with managing humans. But you can look over the the longer period. So, you know, are my teams executing now better than they did in December? Yes. So I joined in December. Um, Was that entirely me? Like, absolutely not. (laughs) You know? Just take the credits. That's that's how how managers do it, isn't it? Um, It's all me. It was rubbish before I came and now it's brilliant what changed me (laughs) (laughs) that's not really how I roll but (laughs) I'll take that under advisement if I decide my my way is not working so well you know sometimes kind of my engineers say things to me that make it clear that they appreciate what I do for them yeah that's how you know you're doing a good job if they if they don't hate you I don't think any of them hate me (laughs) (laughs) but you said you missed programming I do I do of course I do but you know, I think a lot of people become managers and they miss programming and so they decide that they should just, like, find a way to write code. And, like, I think that's just kind of taking that's your... bad, isn't it? It's like taking your own emotions about it out on your team, right? And yeah. so... Not good enough, let me do it. Well, that's the way it can come across <laughs> and it's really bad, right? Yeah. Same as everyone else, right? Like, I have that struggle, but I just decided not to make my emotions about that the problem of my engineers, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. I'm still technical, I still you know do technical stuff often more at an architectural level or i do stuff i do the kind of important but not urgent stuff especially like we've been very focusing on launching so my team can really only focus on important and urgent right but for me maybe i can find an hour a day two hours a day where i can focus on important but not urgent and so if we have flaky tasks then i'm going to be the person that goes and looks at them so what about the sort of processes and technologies that you use to run the team? I mean, I guess Git, right? <laughs> GitHub, Slack. Yeah. Do you use Scrum or anything like that? On both of my teams, we do a one, two, three. And so we post it in Slack in the morning. And one, one is the thing that I absolutely must do. Right. Two is the thing that I'm hopeful that I will get done. And three is what I'm filling in the gaps with. That's a sort of daily task checking system that you've got. I don't want to call it checking. Yeah. But it's about providing visibility into what we're doing. In general, I think that everyone should be submitting at least a PR every day. If they're not, then it's a sign that they're stuck or they're working on something that's too big. Which is sort of what Scrum is there to make sure you do, right? So as long as you're doing yeah. that, then you don't really need anything more formal. But who listens in stand-ups, right? Like, I can never tell you what happened in a stand-up, like, 15 minutes after it finished. Mm. And so it's kind of nice to have it written down in Slack and you can scroll up to it. Yeah. One of my teams, we also do a stand-up where we kind of talk a bit more about what we ran into the day before and, like, problems we're facing. And then we do a whole team. So one person from each team is in another stand-up. And there we focus more on blockers and dependencies from other teams. Right. 
where is Ride at the moment? Is it is it doing well? Have you got some good numbers of people sharing cars a lot <laughs> and stuff? We focus on like B2B in areas where there aren't particularly good public transport. And it is really in the US right now. So I don't know about you, but like as a European, I find it pretty horrifying that in certain places to get a job, you have to get a car. So it's kind of focused on those areas. And so we go to different companies and right. well, they encourage people to use it because it's as part of their environmental policy, yeah. kind of reducing individual so, cars. So it's kind of carpooling for their employees to get to work. Yeah. Okay, well, that sounds good. Like people in tech especially are much more likely to have heard of our engineering team and people on our engineering team than they have of the product. Because you're quite visible and public and talking about it. Yeah, I mean, so my boss is like a tech celebrity in Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> I was like recognized at a coffee shop the other day because I had like a Colombia dev sticker on my laptop. And so, you know, this woman comes up to me and I'm like, oh yeah, hi. You know, we talked a little bit and I was like, okay, you know, I can come and give a talk for you. You can email my admin. And she's like, oh, you work for Ride with Juan Pablo. And I'm like, yeah. So so, so your boss is Colombian. Is that why you're in Colombia? So he has a lot of connections to the community down there. And so when he was starting to hire, that's where he looked for his remote engineers. We have a, like five US. So you've got an office in Colombia and where you live <laughs> with, so with some actual humans in we have like a co-working space that we go to right. was moving to Colombia something you wanted to do before this job happened I mean I spent like a month there last year and I really liked it I don't have like strong feelings about where I should live oh you travel a lot <laughs> I mean I know I don't want to live in America it's like my only <laughs> strong feeling <laughs> there's a lot of other places yeah, there's a whole world. So I lived in Canada for a while. I lived in Australia for a while. I spent a summer teaching programming in China. But you grew up in England. I know. I grew up in South London. Uh, I've been in Brighton for 15 years now. I quite so like Brighton. There's so much to talk about. Where, where should I go? I've got a segue really slickly now. And so I can't do it. I'm not really professional. <laughs> <laughs> should we talk about Glowforge? Yeah, I love Glowforge. So, so how did you get involved with them? At Grace Harper a couple of years ago, there was this panel of male allies. Is that a conference? Yeah, so Grace Harper is like the conference for technical women. I mean, I know who she is, but I well, didn't know good. there was a conference. You're ahead of the curve, because oh, okay. women's achievements tend to be like written out of history. Um, she's one of the two women we talk about when we talk about women in tech, though. So. Right. <laughs> there was this uh, panel of male allies, and I was like pretty public about it being a really terrible idea. <laughs> And uh, I had, like, just left Google. So finally I was allowed to say whatever I thought. uh, And I really, like, took full advantage of that. Uh, I think it was, like, a week free of Google at this point. I was like, whoa. So I wrote this, like, blog post before, and I was like, this is why this is not a good idea. And then the panel happened. And I have this, like, habit of live-tweeting things that I perhaps shouldn't. Um, So we all? Well, I once live-tweeted a date with a misogynist. (laughs) Uh, which I really feel was training for the male allies panel in Grishopper. Um And I had a computer that time and I didn't need to hide what I was doing, so that really made it a lot easier. It's really hard to like live tweet a day with a misogynist. Yeah, I can imagine this <laughs> certain amount of involved. Well, you know, he was checking the stock market at one point, oh, so I that see. gave me some time. Right? Oh, and it's, yeah, no, it's really, it was not, not a good date. But anyway, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, spoiler, I never saw him again. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so I, like, live-tweeted it, and one of my friends had made a bingo card, and she, like, handed around the bingo card. And at some point, someone yelled, bingo. (laughs) I, like, found it. During the male allies Yeah, 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 because, like, the the point of all the criticism was, like, this stuff is just really standard. We can predict what they're going to say. And do they really need to say it to a group of several thousand women? Yeah, but obviously we need to know what the men think. (laughs) I often think that the problem with diversity is that we don't hear enough about what men think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they don't get much of a voice, do they? No, I think we have to amplify their voices. I think it's very hard for men to... to... (laughs) I feel sorry for them, really. (laughs) Not all of them, though. We shouldn't feel sorry for all of them. them. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that actually ended really well. They did a reverse allies panel. It was was cool, but... Um, like a few days later, Dan at Glowforge messaged me and he was like, Hey, I used to work for Google too. Can you give me some advice? And I was like, Oh, you seem like an interesting person. And you made this board game that I've heard about. And so I had a call with him 
and then we just like became friends <laughs> and uh, I started helping them with their interviewing process and you know they asked me to be an advisor and I was like really really thrilled to say yes because they're just like they're great they're really great they really care about building an inclusive environment and like they're also building something that's just like really freaking cool it's a laser cutter yeah but it's like a laser cutter that isn't terrifying yeah I use laser cutters quite a lot so I can and the software is just terrible yeah so that's presumably what you're trying to fix at Glowforge yeah so you see my necklace I do see it I made that on the Glowforge brilliant it's like my like passion project app. Yeah. And so it's the icon from that. It's amazing. I actually really, really love laser cutting though. I have to say. Just because it's like a really easy way to get very high production quality, <laughs> isn't it? Like compared to 3D printers which are blobby and shitty and Yeah, well this is part of the thing with like makerspaces, right? Like people go to the makerspace thinking that what they want is the 3D printer, but actually what they find themselves using is the laser cutter. But, like, the laser cutters are terrifying, right? Because you have to calibrate them. The software is awful. Mm. It's very easy to go horribly wrong. And on, like, Glowforge, you just, like, drag your image over your material and you say print. Are they available yet? They're available soon. You can pre-order. They were, like, crazy. It was a massive Kickstarter success, wasn't it? They actually built their own crowdfunding platform. (laughs) They didn't use Kickstarter. Right, okay. Because why not? (laughs) <laughs> I think Dan's written about this, so probably, okay. yeah. We can, well, we can link to that, that's cool. Yeah, I pre-ordered one and I'm homeless. Like, I have no idea where it's going to live. I have to find somewhere to live before they ship. Otherwise, I think my mom's going to take it. It's fine. No, 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 no. <laughs> she, she won't know what to use. What to do with it. That's fine. She's, that's like, really excited about it. She started calling it, like, her Glowforge. And I'm oh, like, what's... did you order another no one? <laughs> yeah, i Yeah, I love laser cutting. So... Is there anything else about it apart from that the software's better? It looks a bit nicer. It's not as bulky, is it? As yeah, you can put it on your desktop. Yeah. There's different models, so there's like a pro version, but for the regular version, you don't need the same kind of safety equipment. Or you mean like the extractors and all that sort of stuff? You or? like you don't need um, like the goggles and all of that. You can just. You need goggles. <laughs> I, I have no idea how. Like, I don't think so. <laughs> I like, didn't really think of myself as a maker. In fact, I still don't think yeah. of myself as a maker. So when I went to like Glowforge for the first time, mm. and like Dan was so excited, and he's like, "Kid, what do you want to make?" And I was like, "I'm, I'm I hopeless. Don't I don't want to make anything because <laughs> then I have to like carry it around with me. What am I going to do with it?" And, like, <laughs> um, but then we like we made my necklace, and like you know, it was mm. really really fun. Yeah. And you know, I'm not someone who would ever go to a makerspace, right? Like, they've always seemed a bit, like, intimidating and welcoming. I, yeah, terrifying. I chatted a bit about this with um, Stacey. Yeah, yeah, I, had, I listened ago. to that yeah, one. Because I was a trustee at the Hackspace in Brighton for yeah. a year or two. And, um, yeah, just, well... I mean, it's a great project, right? Don't get me wrong. I love that it exists. But there's so many so many challenges involved with running a space with lots of different people Mm -hmm. and actually it's not a space that I like to hang out for so many reasons yeah and and actually the only reason I'm still a member is because of the laser cutter so if I get a glowforge (laughs) then I don't have to go there anymore yeah you can just get a glowforge it's fine (laughs) I think there's also something that appeals to me about like experimenting in a safe way yeah like I don't like to do things that I have no idea about in public and so you yeah. know, I think for a lot of women working in tech, we've had this experience where we're trying to do something. Um, or, you know, I have this in the gym too, right? Where someone yeah. wants to tell me how to lift or someone wants to tell me that I'm doing it wrong. Or like at best, they want to tell me that what I'm doing is cute. And like, obviously I'm adorable, but, you know, I don't really need, I'm not a parking ticket. I don't need to be validated by strange <laughs> men. And so the idea yeah. of like, I have it, it's in my house, I can play with it. I mean, this assumes I have a house, which, you know, I'm working on and... <laughs> I can play with it and I can get things wrong and like no one has to know but me. Yeah, no, I I totally get that. Well, actually also with any equipment like that or a 3D printer, you really need to live with it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. To get used to it and understand it, it's quirks. Not that there are any quirks (laughs) in Glowforge. I'm sure it's entirely quirkless. (laughs) 
Well, is you have to kind of get an understanding of what you can make with it, right? And so that's when, exciting and inspiring, right. right? And so when I'm in Seattle, I host this event there, which we call Making Things Monday. Mm. So if you're underrepresented in tech, you can come and make things, and we have dinner and we hang out, and it's really really fun. And one of the coolest things about that is like meeting people who've come back multiple times and seeing them have like these progressively more ambitious projects. Okay, so let's let's talk about creative coding because you have experimented haven't you you've doubled i've doubled right so so tell me about this processing chapter so i travel a lot and i take a lot of photos and i wanted to write something that would like visualize them in a different way so i wanted to visualize the colors so i had this theory that you know you would see the kind of cool whites and blues of iceland the like lush greens of bali and that it would be really beautiful and i also i really love fractals and kind of that kind of thing so i found this beautiful pattern that's called the sunflower layout so it's oh, yeah. the most efficient way to lay out circles yeah it's that so, sort of spirally shape isn't it yeah it's really cool so my idea was i would take a photo stream i would extract the dominant colors and i would like visualize it like that and i thought this would be a fun long weekend project because i assumed that somebody somewhere had written an algorithm to determine the dominant color from a photo you that's something you would expect to have existed yeah you're telling me that no one has ever done that well now they have i can't believe that no one's ever done that <laughs> i'm sure we need more research but anyway it doesn't matter because you've done it anyway and it's yeah. cool well so i kind of learned a lot of things about color in that process so yeah. like part of it was like the way that we think about color versus the way that we represent color so we represent color in this rgb space but actually the way we think about color is closer to this other color space which is called the HSV color space so we think about Hue, saturation and brightness yes exactly exactly <laughs> which is my favorite way to represent colors it is it's so it's so much more intuitive yeah. right and so I kind of I figured that one thing I could do to get the dominant color was I could just gradually scale down the image yes and whatever remained would be the dominant color um, but I decided that that was cheating um, <laughs> or not the right way to do it. And so I wrote an algorithm that just operates in the HSV color space. So mm. it kind of calculates the dominant color with certain degrees of accuracy. And then what I learned was like when you take the dominant color out of an image, it often just looks kind of sludgy. Yeah. So I finally and this took years, right, because I had a full-time job and I like abandoned it as a project for a while, but I finally made my visualization and admittedly it included like 300 photos from North Korea which is not a place like known for like its brightly colored scenery um, but it was not it was not quite the visualization of my dreams <laughs> but as part of like testing it I'd be making these images that were like partially colored so I would take a picture of like say I took a picture of the park that we're recording in because we're super high tech right now um, you know and I could keep the green in and take everything else out yeah and so I started making these test images and like the test images were way cooler than the final result. So let's just think about how you did that. So you'd, you'd analyze the image and figure out what the dominant hue was. Yeah. Right, and then you just take that out of all the pixels. Yeah, with a certain amount of tolerance. Yeah. Um, either, either on either side of the hue. So each pixel you'd get the HSB value. Yeah. And you'd just see how close it was to the dominant hue. Yeah. And that's whether you desaturate it or not. Right, and then, you know, you calculate it with a certain amount of accuracy, right? Yeah. So you would say there's 360 colors in the world, or there's 120 colors in the world, or there's 10 colors in the world. Hues. Um, yeah, but, like, I think of this as colors, right? Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. I guess yeah. they're almost interchangeable. Technically, technically, technically we mean, yeah. We've got to be very technical. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I started writing this blog post about this, and as part of it, I wanted. This is basically a story about yak shaving, um, and so <laughs> as, as they all tend to be, right? <laughs> yeah. So I went in processing, which was really cool because you can just say, "I want to live in the HSV color space now." Um, so you're saying HSV. Or HSV or HSB, it doesn't Yeah, and then there's HSL as well, right? Oh, my God. Which is a slightly different algorithm. But anyway, that's more that, the so shaving. The difference between luminance, brightness, and... Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're just slightly different algorithms. Now, let me think. HSL is what's built into, uh, you know, the HTML5 canvas, uh, right? Okay. And CSS. So then you've got a hue range between 0 and 360, but you can keep going. Like round and round, right? So you can get to 720 and 1,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. 
saturation obviously is zero to 100 percent and bizarrely when you're um specifying colors as strings you have to put the percent sign in (laughs) how messed up is that right such a nightmare making an hsl if if only computers could do things like that if only it was just really straightforward for them to um, just remember arcane details so you don't have to it's just the it's just the canvas it's (laughs) stupid uh, and then the lightness is also zero to 100%. So if I remember correctly, with HSL, when L is 50% and yeah. saturation is 100%, then you'll get the bright, pure, saturated colour. Yeah. Whereas I believe with HSB, you it's need the, other the, way the lightness to be 100% and the saturation to be 100%, uh, and you only get white if you take the saturation down. Okay. Whereas with HSL, if you want white, then you just turn the lightness all the way up. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Well, that was interesting. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted no, your like yak-shaving exercise. I'm, I'm such a nerd about colour, but I have to look right? those things it's up amazing. in Wikipedia every time. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Um, so. so, processing for the desktop, and I just said I wanted to live in the H- H- HSP. I think it is in processing. They, sometimes they say V, don't they? I could I be mi- wrong. I mix and match all the time, I'm so pretty I'm sure, confused Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's white in my book chapter, because I fact-checked <laughs> so processing for desktop and I wanted to kind of put it on the internet right Mm. so that people could try it and then you run into this thing of like you know I didn't want to have an image uploading service because then you have to deal with storage no server side stuff dick pics oh (laughs) <laughs> like this is just like the just standard problem of if of you course. serve images, right? And so then I so wanted you wanted to be able to have people upload images and then you t- no, be I just able wanted I just wanted to get images from elsewhere. So I wanted you to say this image is like you either you would just do it on your locally or you would just say here's an image I like on Twitter, and then you have to deal with like cross site whatever yeah i'm not like really a javascript programmer so at some point i remembered that i'm an expert mobile developer yes so then i had a new yak to shave um (laughs) so you made this into an app yeah i made it into an ios app and i have an android app in beta what's it called again it's called show and hide and this it lets you take pictures and it will extract the dominant color and make everything that color really colorful and everything else black and white and reverse yeah it'll do so for every picture you take you'll get two so you can control the like the number what we call the number of colors and then the tolerance for what that color is considered to be and you did that as a native ios app yeah you would have to do it natively yeah actually i wrote a lot of c code Mm, like because i had to really optimize it my kind of first go at it was it was working but it was taking like 10 seconds to make one image yeah and that was just like not tenable Um, and the big thing that was slowing it down was all the Objective-C objects. You know, I got rid of Objective-C objects, but then, you know, I was writing C code. Fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, because I worked at Google, and Google has yeah. the notorious interview process, and, you know, people are like, what, do you, what did you do after you left Google? I'm like, well, I wrote an algorithm, and I optimized it for space and time. <laughs> In C. <laughs> <laughs> In C, yeah. I never did that kind of stuff when I worked there. So is that, is, is that done well, that app? Or has that just been a hobby? Or I think it's just like a hobby. I have no idea how you kind of promote something like that or whatever. It's it's done okay. Like I think there's pe- like I see people using it. And did you earn any money off it? No one makes money on apps. No. Unless you build some form of like digital crack. <laughs> well, like Candy Crush or something. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of like, or you know, you you either try and build something where you get enough users that there's just kind kind of some inherent value that way. But I saw it very much as like I built a tool which you know I charged two dollars ninety nine for, and if you want the tool, you can pay two dollars ninety nine. Um, and if you don't want the tool, that's cool. Your pictures won't be as cool, but you know, I'm sure your I'm <laughs> sure your life will use be some fine. Some other less exciting <laughs> image processing app. Because there's nothing like this. Um, I, I made an iOS app. Oh, how did that but go? I, I'm, I have to admit that I've finally stopped renewing my developer license. So my app is no longer on the App Store. Oh, they take it down when you they stop renewing. They take it down, yeah. And um, obviously there's been a, a public outcry that my app is missing. The app, um, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's called the Kitten Conveyor Belt. I love it based on the name alone. Yeah, it's it's essentially um, kittens on a conveyor belt. Um, it's and what like do the kitten, kittens do? Well, there's kitten photographs, like, riding along a conveyor belt. Yeah. So it's meant to be, like, a relaxation <laughs> experience, 
right? So, so you look at the nice pictures of kittens rolling by on a conveyor belt, and if you touch them, they, they meow. It lasts about 30 seconds. There's a song that goes with it, Bossa Nova, because I love Bossa Nova. I wrote the song, and, uh, and me and my wife, Jenny, well, she sang it. I did backing vocals. Oh, cool. Um, in fact, really, that song is perhaps my most proudest <laughs> production ever. I was like... Yeah, it's it's quite special, but no, no, no more. It's no more. So I don't know if there's a big enough campaign, then maybe I should do a Kickstarter to bring if it I get back. the hundred dollars to, to renew my my developer <laughs> subscription. Then I'll, then I'll bring back kitten conveyor belts. I think that's a good idea, but it's also <laughs> <laughs> moving on. <laughs> but no, but there's things that we just do because of like love, right? And they don't necessarily have to make it like I believe that projects should be sustainable yeah um and kind of like you said I have multiple projects and so <laughs> they can't all be not sustainable yeah but in terms of like show and hide like I learned so much doing it and mm. I kind of pulled out of it um I did a bunch of stuff around testing I built I um pulled out this kind of um library for testing images that I open sourced I like created a workshop for like how do you really unit test you know your UI code on your app like it doesn't have to make money for it to be a sustainable project because of the amount of joy and learning I get out of it yeah um but that cannot be true for all my projects sure yeah and it's, it's the reason I did King Conveyor Belt was because I, I was learning objective yeah and I'd never made an iOS app mind you that was so long ago it's probably five years ago right so it's all changed now anyway if you raise $200 on Kickstarter maybe you could rewrite it in I'll Swift I'll rewrite it yeah in Swift actually I'd probably do it I mean I could do it in Unity 3D or um, Open Frameworks anything like that because it doesn't really need the Cocoa Framework yeah. or whatever it's Cocoa yeah. Touch is it still called that? <laughs> probably isn't yeah. is it? my knowledge is so out of date <laughs> It's embarrassing. Like, people kept asking me with that one, like, oh, why are you writing it on Android again from scratch? Why don't you do a, like, cross-platform thing? And it's, yeah, like... Yeah, Cordova or whatever. I, I mean, it's really just, like, tied to the way images are represented. So if you abstract that, then you make it slower. And even using Objective-C, it wasn't fast enough. I had to write it in C. And also, like, you do that kind of stuff, then you just spend a bunch of time, like, dealing with the, like, vagaries of the platform you're using. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, it was very much like, I, you know, I'd run, like, mobile teams before. I had, like, shipped, like, interesting mobile products. But this was the one thing that, like, I did start to end, at least from an engineering perspective. But, yeah. like, a, obviously, I didn't design it. Um, you can tell that as soon as you look at it, that it was not designed by an engineer. <laughs> and then, oh, and I, this book chapter came yes, out of it. Book yeah, chapter, yes. So that came out like last week, and I'm so happy. So, so what is it someone else's book that you've contributed to, or what is it? It's one of the architecture of open source books. So they did this um, project called 500 Lines or Less. And so I took my kind of little processing experiment, turned it into an app, and put it in. And you know, I, I actually worked on this mostly in 2014. Finally read it one last time, like, oh my god, like two weeks ago. And I was like, oh, I never have to read this again. <laughs> Um, like just when you write a book chapter or like imagine a book as well it's just this process of coming to like deeply hate your own work yeah but I was also like because I'd been away from it so long I was like wow past Kate really thought about this a lot <laughs> <laughs> she was very thought like normally past Kate just is trying to kill future Kate um, but like that I past Kate I stuff like that <laughs> past Seb who is basically really annoying does he does he have a strong grip on reality? Because what I find with past Kate <laughs> is she just assumes that future Kate will be superhuman. Yeah, yeah. Past Seb has little regard for, for present day Seb. <laughs> now I have this he has element a, a healthy contempt <laughs> for present day Seb. Not cool, past Seb. Sort it out. So now I have this level of indirection because I have Ariel. So I yes. like make sensible decisions, communicate them to Ariel, and then so, I don't have to just agree to things. <laughs> So you have an assistant, <laughs> and I've, I've told you this about your assistant, how jealous I am. You should be jealous. I am jealous. Yeah. I'm incredibly jealous. So how does that work? Does the company provide Ariel, the amazing assistant? Um, so she's like a virtual assistant. Yeah. Um, so well, obviously she's not anywhere near the same place as you. 
<laughs> I mean, even would, if she was, would. it wouldn't last for long. <laughs> thing is like, Does she assist other people as well? Is she exclusively for your own personal use? Um, I, I don't know. We don't talk about that. <laughs> is, it, is it like in, in that film with the operating system? Is it she or the moment in the film? I when never she, saw it. Oh, Scarlett Johansson is the operating system. Uh-huh. And, and she's having this slightly weird relationship with her user. Yeah. And then, like, later on, she just happens to mention one of her other, like, users. And he's like, how many users has she, have you got? And she's like, 500 <laughs> or something. Because she can totally, like, talk to a million people. Well, that's what AIs can do. They're yeah. very clever. So I don't, I don't think Ariel is an AI. Okay. I think she's a real human, so she has some, like, genuine constraints. <laughs> um, I just, like, like, my, like, my life is a little bit... Uh, my schedule's a little bit demanding, but I don't think yeah. it's enough for like a, a second to need a whole second person. So, so she's is she, does she work for the company or is she an outside contractor? I want to know how to get one, basically. <laughs> Do you want me to? Say, I mean, you've been emailing Ariel. You can just ask I just, her. I could ask her. I get yeah. her on the podcast. Yeah. Do yeah. just be like. What's it like being Kate's assistant? <laughs> Why did you want that, and how does it help? I just find it really helpful. Like, I often feel really overwhelmed, so it's really nice to, like... She often gets this email over the weekend, and it is just, like, a stream of, like, random things that I'm worried about. Yeah. You know, it's like, do I have anywhere to sleep every night in May? Could you just check that for me, please? Can you, like, send this person who did this thoughtful thing a gift? You know, it's much easier to be, like, thoughtful to other people where you literally just have to be thoughtful and somebody else does it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, scheduling one-on-ones with my team, figuring out my flights. Do you think part of the the reason she helps so much is because you're moving around so much? Yeah. There's so many kind of logistical things you have to deal with. There's, like, an overhead to being homeless. Yeah. There totally is. But don't don't you have a permanent place in Colombia? No. Where is it in Colombia? Medellin. Medellin. So, I mean, where do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> when I'm in Medellin, I have somewhere to sleep. Right, you've got an apartment. But it's just a there. different place each time. What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds quite stressful. Don't you want somewhere you can just get to somewhere know and comfy? Somewhere like, and... keep my Glowforge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, like, so when I've been homeless since towards the end of 2014... Um, and I, you know, before that, I was living in Canada for nearly four years, which is a long time. And then I lived in Australia for about a year. And then I lived in London, survived here for about nine months before I just, like, gave up my apartment, quit my job, shed all trappings of adult life, really, and just, yeah. like, ran away. Um, so I just have, like, my set of needs pretty down. So I just... So is it kind of a lifestyle choice to be really sort of um, minimal? <laughs> I'm pretty minimal, but I'm not one of those people who's like, I only have 100 items. Look yeah. how impressive I am. <laughs> like, I've not counted the number of items I have. We need a number. <laughs> I, I, I do, I'm not going on until I have a number. <laughs> I do have an extra suitcase of stuff that I right. keep in Colombia, and then okay. I just get back and I, like, unpack it. Yeah. So I've been acquiring domestic objects. Have you seen my tweets about domestic I, objects? I haven't, no. <laughs> so, yeah, people have been giving me domestic objects. So one of my <laughs> colleagues actually gave me some coasters. And he's like, oh, because you have a home now. It's really thoughtful. <laughs> um, but I'd, in fact, like, packed up that home and left the previous day. But, you know, I still have the coasters. I've been taking them to apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, Ariel, for me, is part of, like, this whole... So I spent like a year kind of being fun employed and, you know, I had this great sense of time abundance that was not actually true, right? Like I felt like I had a lot more time than I have. And I look back at it and I'm like, Kate, past Kate, you could have done so much more stuff, you know, if you hadn't made these poor choices. But I mean, of course, past Kate always makes poor choices. Um, <laughs> so... Um, Silly, naive past Kate. Well, you know, when you become a manager, you have to learn how to delegate, right? You have to learn how to give stuff away and to trust someone to do it. Yeah, and I never got the hang of that. Yeah, I and still can't do so it. I've given away like large ways of like planning my life, right? Um, the other thing I do, because I know as a fellow speaker, you might be interested in this. Yeah. I have somebody else make my slide decks. Oh, I don't really use slide decks. But I sort of do. I have a couple of different techniques <laughs> that I use for for my speaking gigs one is I have a sort of generic slide deck which isn't really 
that, there isn't really any content in it. <laughs> There's just like videos and pictures of some of my projects. And sometimes I give advice, but I, I, only if I only if I feel like I need to be a proper speaker that day. Yeah. Most of the time I don't. I don't do that. And the rest of it is like demos, yeah? Yeah. And interactive things. So that makes it a lot easier. And then sometimes if I do do a new talk, then I'll just throw a few pictures in a slide deck sort of sometimes just before. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm like a compulsive over-preparer. I don't believe there's any one way. Yeah. Um, if people like your talks and they, they go away with something that they've learned or that they want to do differently, then I think you're doing it well. They seem to like it. Well, that's great. You're it's winning. A, it's a style. Yeah. Um, I'm like <laughs> very you, much... you do it all properly and professionally. Pro- and properly, professionally. Like, yeah. You know, I need to feel prepared in order to be yeah. able to do things. Like, you saw my, like, podcast preparation checklist. I did see that you wrote a post about it. Yeah, yeah. I was so impressed by that post. I was actually, I, was I like, thought that's why a- you asked me to be on. And then I was like, oh, it didn't publish yet because it was supposed to publish at 8 a.m. And then you messaged me and I was like, cool. Yeah, and then I was like, is- I need to look at my checklist, what I'm going to do now. <laughs> and like actually give the checklist to Ariel. So that she can- <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really impressive, and I, I read it and was like, oh, so this is what a functioning human is like, <laughs> rather than just bumbling through. I mean, I consider everything. myself to be very much like applied humaning rather than like it doesn't come naturally to me. A really interesting thing that I took from that was that um, you linked to another post about being charis- charismatic. Yeah. And you'd read a book about being charismatic. Yeah. And you'd sort of done a TLDR on how to be charismatic. And I, I read all the points. And it was like, I, don't, I, I do the opposite <laughs> of all of those things. I interrupt. I nod too much. I, uh, what else was it that you're not meant to do? Well, I think the main thing I took from that is you're supposed to project this aura of warmth. I guess maybe. So I, I did. I, <laughs> I gave project it to- <laughs> some sort of personality. I can't really be sure how it lands. <laughs> I don't know. You seem pretty warm. Oh, I hope so. That's what I, I go for. Actually, to be serious for a moment, I do think that particularly giving a talk, or, or even more so with a workshop, I feel like I take the attitude of like a host. You know, I feel like a host at a party. And you're want, welcoming them. I want everyone to feel comfortable and mm-hmm. that they've got everything they need and they've got coffee and enough space and, you know, and all those things. And I think that's how it comes... You know, I try and get that across. So I guess that's that sort of warm, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, that is warm. It's caring. But I can also be, like, really bitchy as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're I hope British. it's funny. I hope it... It's, like, it is my humour. But, right, I, but, like, British people in the, like, dark humour, like, it's yeah. kind of how we roll. I definitely... I definitely skirt the line sometimes, you know? <laughs> into, like, the last workshop I did, I was running these pies headless... So obviously I had to plug them all, uh, get them all connected to the Wi-Fi. And, but before I even started, I had to solder boards. I had to solder the pins on about oh my ten God. of them. I was, I was frantically soldering. Just <laughs> I got it all done in time. And then, you know, there was a few Wi-Fi issues. Though. Well, there there's always, always stuff like yeah. that. I, I think I dealt with it fine and it was all fine in the end. But I was really kind of just a bit strung out. <laughs> and when I get like that, I just get really sweary. And I, I hope it's funny. <laughs> Like, I, I, I think sometimes if I fail, people seem to really laugh. So hopefully it's all right, but I was definitely a bit sweary than usual. <laughs> when I get really stressed, I just keep going, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to stab someone. If I don't yeah. stab someone, I'm being very reasonable. Mm. <laughs> but I'm trying to, like, I kind of feel like Not if stabbing I'm... someone is a fairly... Low bar yeah, being so, reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, was... I don't think I've stepped <laughs> I mean, neither have I. So I think about this a lot in terms of like technical interviewing and how do you be a good interviewer. And I actually worry a lot that my ability to like make someone feel good whilst I'm, you know, taking notes and trying to come to an objective judgment about them is like borderline sociopathic. It's impossible though. I never felt like I got the hang of that. Interviewing? No, I, I don't but it, think it's so. applied humaning. I have a checklist. Right, see, so functioning <laughs> human again. Um, I gave, I gave a talk about this last right, year. Okay. Yeah, because um, I, yeah, I think, and it's probably the same when I'm interviewing people for the podcast, right? <laughs> I'm just having a nice chat, and actually at the end of it, I'm like, 
What did we learn? Like nothing. <laughs> I, th- I, I think what really people nice learned, time. yeah, I think what people will have learned for this one is that I have a checklist for every occasion. Which is brilliant. <laughs> I really respect that. <laughs> I sort of wish I had one now. Uh, I, I don't know. I think a lot about like process, right? So yeah, you know, and like tying this back to management as well. Like you know, stuff goes wrong, right? So yeah. someone checks in something and it breaks something, right? Like it's very easy to go to a place of blame. Um, but actually, like, what was the environment they were operating in, right? So it's like, was it that part of the code base is willy gnarly? We don't have good tests for it. But is this, are we talking about your interviewing still? Or no, about processes. Just, like, processes. I just believe in yeah, processes, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So to make sure it's not, oh, how could you do such a stupid thing? It's right. More, like, what, how did how the how environment, yeah, how did the environment enable it? Yeah. And so then the same for interviewing, right? Because we say, oh, you're going to interview this person. (laughs) You know, find out if they're good. And we give people no bar. And people are very invested in designing a process that they would do well in. Yeah. Right? Or they suffered in the process and they feel that suffering is just an inherent part of interviewing. Yeah, right. Uh, And I just don't believe it has to be like that. I mean, especially with computer programming interview techniques, there's some really strange... (laughs) really strange practices right yeah. with all the crazy computer science academic sort of tests yeah you know like sorting algorithms or whatever you've never written a sorting algorithm well you might have but i haven't well yeah no i mean when i prepped for my google interviews i wrote yeah, every exactly. kind of sorting algorithm yeah, and i did. i did tdd on them too <laughs> <laughs> that's an example where they should have given you the job that's not a good example right <laughs> They gave you the, but they gave you the job not because you could do sorting algorithms, but you, because you were smart enough to realise they'd ask you to. <laughs> I think my, like, I have this prep list for what I did to kind of study for Google interviews that still gets like a good amount of traffic. Um, but I think the main thing was that I needed to do that amount of study to be prepared, yeah. right? And you know, for me to be prepared means that I'm going to feel calm about it. And I think for interviewers, we could do a lot more to make people feel calm. Yeah. You know? See, I think I was alright at that bit. I Making people I, feel yeah, calm. What I wasn't good at is finding out if they were any good at programming or not. Well, like you have to kind of tie those two things together, right? One out of two is a start. Not, well, I mean, it depends what you're trying to assess, right? Are you trying to assess your ability to make someone feel calm whilst you find out nothing about them? Or are you trying to assess their ability to be a good engineer? Yeah, I suppose the second one's more important, isn't it? The first one's not so, so important at all. Irrelevant, in fact. I mean, I think it's it's uh, it's good if you're, say, recording a podcast. It's a useful skill. <laughs> what what do you ask people then in your interviews? Um, it depends. When I do like a hiring manager interview, I ask different questions than when I do like an IC interview. I don't know what that means. I see. <laughs> so when I do a hiring manager interview, so it's like someone's thinking about joining my team. Yeah. And so then I want to kind of find. Um, basically, I'm trying to figure out if they would be a good fit for our team if they if there's a good chance that they have expertise in the kinds of things that we need expertise on, um, if they are comfortable with the kind of work environment, right, which is remote work, not everybody's comfortable with that. When I do, like, an IC interview, I ask people... IC. Oh, sorry, individual con- contributor interview. Right. Then I want to find out um, if they can write code and how they think about a problem. Yeah, so that's more sort of specific technical stuff. Yeah, so I'll do, like, I'll ask them an algorithms and data structures question and we'll work through it together, try and make it collaborative. Um, I always want someone to get stuck, right? Um, To see how they react to that. To see how they react to feedback and how they take feedback and how they take hints. I think that's really important, right? If somebody, you know, if I give someone a question and, you know, they just kind of give me a bunch of different solutions and tell me the one time of all of them yeah. then you know what have I really learned about how they'll cope when they run into a problem they don't know the answer to do you have, I, had, I just remembered now I made a test oh god you made a test yeah it was, it was horrible <laughs> it was a really mean test right why did you make this mean test because you don't want to speak to people no, no, I spoke to them as well. Oh, good. It wasn't just a test. Because some people just give out a test, right? Like, can you... Yeah. Like, I've heard of companies that just give people... You have to pass the test to get an interview, and I'm like... No. You could, I would never it take was, that test. It was part of the interview process. <laughs> yeah. I would sit them down and do the test, and it was, it was... But there was some stuff in there that I thought was... 
I mean, now I look back, I wonder if it was that relevant, but there are certain <laughs> creative coding things that I think are important, like yeah. colour theory, like understanding RGB and how to mix yeah. colours and stuff. You know, that's not necessary, really, to be a good programmer, but I would... It's interesting background, and, you know, if they, then actually most of the time they didn't know it. And then there was, like, a logic puzzle, you know, um, which is probably a bit mean, but I just wanted to see how they solve problems. But actually... Most people did okay on it, but actually it was more important for me to see how stressed they got and their personality, I suppose. I don't know. Now I'm thinking back, it just seems really flawed. But there was a couple of guys that just got really good marks and they were two of the best programmers I've worked with, so... Yeah. I don't know. Sounds wrong, doesn't it? But it's like collation or causation, right? Could you have, like, had a process that was perhaps less horrible and you could have you could have still I was very warm (laughs) whilst you were administering whilst you were administering a test you were very warm it was designed it was designed to make them fail yeah but apart from that I was very warm (laughs) so so my thing about interviewing is not necessarily that the outcome changes but maybe the process changes right and so you know maybe like you would have gone through a different process where uh, you would not have administered a test, um, and you would have hired the same people. Yeah. But everyone who it had have been so painful, right? But everyone would have felt better about it, yeah. including the people that didn't make it through. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not pretending that I, it was a good idea. <laughs> you know, that's good because there's an expression on my face that I think says, "Don't pretend it's a good idea." <laughs> well, I did, I did mention I wasn't particularly good at managing people, um, <laughs> or, or at least. Um, I don't really work with anyone now, so it's probably the safest all around. <laughs> not to sort of mix with humans. It's it's better this way. Yeah, that's good. You managed to get married, though. Huh? You managed to find one human that was willing to kind of put up with you on like a full time basis. Yeah, I think that that's lucky, a, I think that's it? a solid start, to be honest. <laughs> yes, I win at life. <laughs> I don't entirely suck. Okay, look, it's getting late. We're getting really cold. It's so cold. It's so oh, my cold. God. And you're obviously used to Colombian weather. Is it hot? Uh, I don't know how to say it. Medellin. Medellin. Yeah, yesterday morning I was warm, and now I feel Freezing. like I may never I'm be so warm again. I'm so sorry to drag you out into the park. I, You know, I flew 24 hours to be here. Well, you know, that makes me feel really special. You should. But I don't think you did it just for me. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me. It's been really interesting. Thank you, Kate. Thanks. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Creative Coding Podcast with our special guest, Kate Houston. You can find us on Twitter at cc underscore pod or on the internet at ccpod.co. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, please, please, please support us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash creative coding. And also what's really helpful is to subscribe and leave us a rating and or a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening.